Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast, which, as you know, is the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. Our Football Insider subscribers uh, sent us questions, and we are going to go through them. And Mary Kay, the first question is really pretty simple. It's kind of what's on everyone's mind, I think, right now. It comes from Terry in Clemson, South Carolina. So, of course, it is about Deshaun Watson. Uh, Hey, Mary Kay. Do you think Deshaun Watson will improve enough for the Browns to compete against the Bengals? It is a great question. And I just got done writing a whole entire column about why I think Deshaun Watson can fare better against the Bengals. Now, the first thing to consider when answering this question is the fact that the eight and four Bengals should not be confused with the one 10 and one Texans, right? I mean, that, that's number one. Even though there are at least a half a dozen reasons why I think Deshaun Watson should fare better, that's got to be the overarching uh, theme here, is that they're playing a good football team, the number five overall seed in the AFC right now, compared to the number 16 seed in the AFC and the 32nd seed in the NFL, the worst team in the NFL they just played. But I still think there are reasons to believe why he should be better. And here are some of them. First of all, Kevin Stefanski will know what to call for him a lot better. They didn't know what to expect. They didn't know how rusty he was going to be. They all figured out, yes, he's going to be very, very rusty. Okay. So I think Kevin now will have a better idea. Here's what he can handle. Here's what he can't handle. Here's some RPOs we can try. Uh, Let's focus a little bit more on the run game. Let's maybe not go too crazy with downfield passing unless they get some one-on-one matchups that they really love. Um, So just having a body of work, some tape to go over, uh, gives you an opportunity to go back to the drawing board and devise a game plan that you think he can be comfortable with. So that's number one. David Njoku should be back this game. I think that's going to be tremendous. David Njoku helps not only in the passing game, but he helps out in the blocking game, pass protection, run blocking, you name it. I mean, he is really, really good at that. One of the best tight ends in the NFL in blocking. Um, and then, look, if you look at that Bucks game, if he doesn't catch that amazing touchdown pass with 32 seconds left, they're not winning that game. Another big, huge weapon for him in Deshaun Watson. Then they had receiver issues this game. David Bell injures his thumb. Anthony Schwartz leaves with the concussion. 
Before he leaves, he gets pressed into service and gets stripped of the football after a 12-yard catch. So heading into this game, now they're going to be more ready for potential issues at receiver. Michael Woods will probably be active. They know they'll have to get Kareem Hunt more involved in the passing game. Uh, They'll probably have to call up a receiver or two from the practice squad, depending on what happens with David's thumb. Anthony Schwartz has a concussion, probably won't play this game. But if all goes as planned, they will have at least more stability at receiver in this game, uh, knowing a few more things than they know now heading into the game. Then the Houston game, it's it's over. He's got that one under his belt. I mean, that it got ugly in a number of ways. It was very emotional for him. He said he had to hold things in. I mean, I was down on the field before the game, and I could just see how overwhelming it was. He was pulled in 25 million different directions. I actually think that maybe that could have been managed a little bit better than it was because every time I turned around, he was with these people or those people or these people. And it was just one thing after another. And, you know, maybe he didn't need to be out there that whole entire time. Now, I did see him signing a lot of autographs and posing for pictures, and that was positive. But Cal McNair's wife, the the Texans owner's wife, turned her back on him when he approached. Uh, You know, accusers were there. There were signs there. So that was just a big emotional undertaking in Houston. That's out of the way. These are some of the reasons why I think he'll fare better in Cincinnati. I mean, I think the big thing you mentioned is just that knowledge of kind of what he's ready to do and what he's maybe not quite ready for. And I do wonder if we'll see him run a little more, uh, some more designed stuff. And I was thinking, you know, when I watched that, there was a third and four, I think it was, or third and three, where they ended up kind of running Nick Chubb straight ahead. And my Mm -hmm. initial thought was, oh, they did that to go for it, but then they came out and punted. But then when they showed a replay, it almost looked like there was, it was more of a read option. Mm -hmm. Um, and it looked like Deshaun maybe would have had something open if he would have kept it. Yeah. So it's it's stuff like that, too. It's just getting used to playing with Nick Chubb and, and used to running that read option stuff and, like, when to keep it, when to hand it off. And for Nick to understand, like, when do I take the ball? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really hard to kind of get that stuff down uh, when the bullets are flying, even when it's against the Houston Texans. Those are still NFL players. They are still NFL players, and Lovey Smith is a good NFL coach, and he knew uh, to try to mix things up on the front end. He knew to mix things up in the back end. He knew uh, to try different you know, games and twists and stunts and different things and try to get him hemmed into the pocket, which the Bengals will, will try to match that and repeat that. And they also have two really good edge rushers in uh, Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard. They've got some good defenders. Now, they have issues in their back end, as we know, um, with them losing their best cornerback on Halloween night here. Um, But they will do things defensively to cross him up and know that he's not 100% ready for everything yet, that he's about to see, that it has been 700 days since he has played fast, tough, hard NFL football. And the other thing I made this point is, that these AFC North matchups are nothing to mess around with. They're like playoff games, right? And now that it's December, you may have seen or heard Joe Burrow say, we know how to win these games in December. Well, first of all, I think now he's got to go out and back that up because he is 0-4 against the Browns. Um, But 
I think that there, there is a good point there in that uh, these are big games now. These are a lot of these guys are approaching these as almost must win football games. The Bengals are in almost a must win situation now neck and neck with the Ravens at eight and four. If they want to win the division and they want to get their one and I think it is three division record turned around. Are they one and three? I think they are one and three in the division or one and two, something like that. I'm looking up the standings right now. I don't remember off the top of my head what it is, Uh, but they are uh, one and three in the division. One and three. I mean, that's horrible. So they know that they have got to uh, get that tiebreaker going in the other direction and they want to get the monkey off their back and beat the Cleveland Browns. So they are going to bring it. They're going to bring it. And, and it's an intensity that Deshaun Watson is going to have to be ready for. Yeah. And don't look now the Steelers have won three out of four and they're five and seven as well. <laughs> they have the exact same record as the Browns. So this <laughs> AFC North, these teams are going to be beating up on each other um, here over these next few games. So a question mm-hmm. here from Brian in Delaware, Ohio. Hey, Mary Kay, I know Kevin Stefanski keeps his cards close to his chest, but do you think the coaching staff knew how rusty Deshaun Watson would be before Sunday's game? You know, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that he looked good enough in practice, and he came back off that 11-game suspension, really understanding the playbook. Uh, You know, I, I think getting used to the speed of the game, I think they felt that there would be some of that. But I think they underestimated lack of timing with the receivers, lack of just being able to operate an offense at the level and the speed that you need to do it, uh, calling the protections and just all the things that go into reading the defenses that fast again. Uh, I think they probably underestimated just how much it was it was going to hit him like that. Yeah, I'm sure they felt there would be something, but mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anybody saw that coming. No. I mean, that was that was the worst rated game of his career. And yes. it was inaccuracy, it was, you know, balls at guys' feet, just like it just it was really bad. It was I mean, it mm-hmm. was one of the worst games we've seen a Browns quarterback play, and that's and that's saying something, and that doesn't mean anything long term. But that they had to be a little bit surprised at the just that amount of rust. Not that there was rust, but just at the, the sheer amount of it. Yeah, and that it came against the worst team in the NFL, right? I think that's probably uh, a large part of it as well. If he had gone out and done that against T.J. Watt and the Steelers in the first game back and Cam Hayward, right? Those guys, I mean, in Pittsburgh, you know, I, I think – uh, maybe everyone would have understood it, but to to have that kind of a game against a team that is so bad that, I mean, they will have the number one overall pick. And, you know, I think that's the thing that, that was so alarming about it. But again, I have to think that all of those things, the ancillary things that he had to go through, his accusers being at the game, Tony Busby being at the game, the McNair situation, all of his former teammates being back home, but coming out of the different tunnel, right? I mean, it was, we have to remember that these are still young men. He's 26 years old, okay? So 
And as Kevin Stefanski said, he's human. And, and I just think it was way, way, way more than he was ready for. Yeah. And, and this week he gets like a normal week. You know, this mm-hmm. isn't the Deshaun Watson's back. There's going to be a million media there. And like, it's, this is going to be kind of his first normal week as the starting quarterback. He, he's going to be a story, obviously, for, for the remainder of the season, especially if the Browns remain in it. And, and they've got a, a national TV game now against the Ravens in, in week 15. But things are going to to feel normal. You know, he kind of set the tone last week when he said he's only doing football questions. He stuck with that after the game. So th- that I think that gives him a chance to, you know, again, I don't think he's going to look like Deshaun Watson just yet, but it gives him a chance to look more like Deshaun Watson this week. Yeah, I think so. I think the uh, just getting that, you know, just getting that Houston game under his belt and out of the way and getting that first press conference out of the way. That was that I think that was very emotional and stressful too. Like they had to figure out what is he going to say? How is he going to say it? And then they settled upon nothing, nothing but football. Uh, So these were all decisions that had to be made. And um, you know, there was just a lot. I mean, there was, there was just a lot because no matter what, I mean, you do have, um, all of these accusers and women everywhere and women's groups and so many people against you. And for someone who has spent a lot of his life trying to, you know, give back to the community and be a good person and all of those things in every other aspect of his life, for him to be experiencing this whole side of, you know, vitriol and everything that is coming along with all of these allegations and accusations. It's, um, I, I, you know, it's just a lot to deal with. And I'm sure that he's talking to his counselors about it and will continue to do so, but it's, you know, and and I'm not excusing any of this and I, I hope that's not coming off wrong. I'm just saying that it is a lot to deal with regardless of what you did or didn't ever do regardless of what you think you did or didn't do, regardless of what you're remorseful for or not remorseful for dealing with all of this stuff and all of that comes with it uh, is I think taking an emotional toll on him. Okay. Let's get to this question from uh, let me find the name again here. Glenn from Raleigh. Uh, He proposes a theory. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, Uh, but Hey, Mary Kay. Once the 11-game suspension was handed down and the Browns got off to that rough start, and he mentions two and two specifically, but we all know it kind of really went off the rails um, after two and one, and they ended up losing four games in a row. Did the focus for the Browns in some ways shift to 2023? And Glenn does include, yes, they're going to to try to win this year, but was the focus more on 2023? You know what? I think that the Cleveland Browns have approached it as though they are in it until they're not. And until someone knocks on their door and says, you cannot make the playoffs, I think they've approached it as though they still have a chance. And why? Because look at what happened last year. After 11 games last year, the Ravens were the number one seed in the AFC, right? They went on after Lamar Jackson got hurt. They lost their last six football games. So anything can happen. And I think the Browns recognize that anything can happen. And instead of, instead of 
imagining the possibilities and imagining the scenarios and wondering about this and wondering about that. They really have taken the approach of we're still in it and we have to go win the next game. And for the last two weeks, they've been able to do that. And they've kept their playoff hopes flickering. Right now, they're they're somewhere around, I saw 8% on 538. Um, I saw, I think ESPN still had them at like 4.6, which didn't make sense to me because that's what it was last week. Um, so I don't know how another victory would keep that the same. But I, I really, truly believe that they are still approaching this like they have a chance. And that when they go down to Cincinnati, they have to do everything they possibly can to try to win that game. And if they don't win that game, then and I still don't think they will be mathematically eliminated, but you know, you're, you're starting to get the nails in the coffin where it will soon be over. And, you know, once it is over, then they'll turn their attention to 2023. But until that moment, no, it's all about this year. And, you know, we should note that Baltimore, uh, Lamar Jackson is week to week, but not ruled out for this week officially. So we'll see how that goes. And John Harbaugh said today that um, after this week, too, they'll, they'll kind of continue to see. And that's a short week game now on a Saturday. Um, they wouldn't be able to win the North if they lose to, to both the Bengals and the Ravens. Uh, but beat the Bengals this week, who knows? <laughs> and uh-huh. even if you lose to the Bengals, you still have a chance if you go out and beat the Ravens on that short week. Um, so it's certainly not over, over and, and hearing guys talk, as you'd expect. Um, they're still very optimistic um, about what they can do this season, uh, even you know still sitting at five and seven and, and still kind of chasing uh, some of those some of those teams in front of them. All right, let's uh-huh. take a break here, and then we have to talk about another, well, not another Browns quarterback, a former Browns quarterback who uh, was Mm -hmm. in the news today. Of course, we got a question about him. So we will talk about Baker Mayfield on the other side of the break. And back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. So, of course, today, the Baker Mayfield era in Carolina came to an end. He was released by the Panthers. Uh, He apparently had requested his release um, and Carolina grants that the Browns will get a fifth round pick now in 2024 for Baker Mayfield. So that becomes uh, official on that conditional pick. Uh, we'll see where Baker ends up subject to waivers and then could become a free agent. But here's the question that was asked about Baker Carloso in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Hey, Mary Kay, where would the Browns be and what would be the status of the front office and coach? Had Watson not come to the Browns and Mayfield was still the starting quarterback to begin the season? Oh, wow. You know, it's, it's a good question. <laughs> uh, it is a good question. I, um, it, it's hard to say. I think that Baker Mayfield had, um, you know, I think the ship had sailed here. I think that I just don't think he was going to be successful here. So I don't think he would have done better than Jacoby Brissett did. Um, I, I really think that, um, you know, teams had caught up to him. I, I don't think that, I think that Kevin had exhausted his possibilities with what to do with him. And I, I think they all recognize that. I just don't think that, uh, he was going to be able to succeed in this offense either, even though it's such a quarterback friendly offense. Now Baker's going to have to put the pieces of his career back together somewhere else. Uh, and everything is 
is going to have to be just so in order for him to actually succeed going forward. And I think it's going to be very difficult for him to find a starting job. Now, he may end up as a starter the rest of this season somewhere because, I mean, look, Jimmy Garoppolo broke his foot. There are other things going on uh, in the NFL where, where teams might need someone. But um, but I think for the most part, uh, I, I just don't think that he would have been successful here. Was the question specifically about a record at some point? Uh, I don't know if they asked for a record. They said, where would the Browns be? Uh, he, he did throw in also, would they be in line for the number one draft choice this year? We both watched the Houston Texans yesterday. I don't think they'd have been worse than the Houston Texans. Um, but no. so, so no, no specific record necessarily, but where would they be? I, I mean, would they have, what was their record after 11 games was four and seven? I mean, is that sort of where they would be? Would they have been worse than that? They could have been worse than that. I mean, they, they could have been worse than that because, you know, that would have required beating the box, you know, again, and that, you know, that wouldn't have been easy. That would have required beating the Bengals. Right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it could have been potentially worse than that. Uh, you know, they almost lost to the Panthers. That might've happened. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it, it could have been worse than, than four and seven. Yeah. I think it was, um, you know, the idea that I threw out in the offseason that maybe Baker would have been a better option than Jacoby Brissett in a world where he could have still been here, which obviously was not possible to begin with. Uh, no, he would not have been better than Jacoby Brissett because Jacoby Brissett came here and has had the best year of his career. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think this team would have been significantly worse off with Baker. And that's, I mean, that's just taking out all the Baker, Stefanski, offense stuff like that's just putting it in a vacuum and like Baker Mayfield the quarterback it's I mean it's really fallen apart for him yeah it really has and I I really would like to say that I hope he can pull it back together and I hope he can go on to be successful somewhere and even if he only has just sort of a Colt McCoy-ish type of career where he hangs around for a, a long time and makes a bunch of money and fills in here and there, even if you have that kind of a career, uh, you know, at least it's not a total loss. It's not a total waste. Uh, you make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in that scenario. Um, but, you know, I, he, he put his heart and soul enough into this job in Cleveland uh, that, you know, I do think he should be commended for that and remembered for that, uh, that he tried to be the guy that, that pulled this team up out of the doldrums. And there's something to be said for that. And he landed here in the height of dysfunction. I mean, the absolute height of dysfunction. And who can succeed in, in those kinds of conditions? And I think a quarterback like Geno Smith right now is proving that, you know, there is life after dysfunction. There is life after nobody believes in you and after you've been on the bench for years and things don't work out. Everything has to align properly. The stars, the moon, everything the coaches, the players, the team, the city, uh, in order for these quarterbacks to be successful. So I hope that he does go on to have a modicum of success somewhere, somehow. It almost feels like somebody needs to sit him down and have the conversation with him, like you were just saying. Like, Baker, you can be a successful backup in this league and make a ton of money and maybe still get an opportunity down the road 
but it feels like he's just not. And I and I get it. All these guys are competitive, and they they want to start. Um, it feels like he's just not wired that way right now. And mm-hmm. I think today is another example of like he was going to be the third string quarterback, and so he asked to be released. <laughs> Obviously, mm-hmm. he wants to go start somewhere. I think it's going to be really hard for him to find a place to go. I, I just, I, I mean, does does a playoff team want to bring on? kind of the circus that comes with Baker Mayfield and like the San Francisco feels like, like system wise, that would be a great fit, but like he can't come in and play right away. So do you want to bring that on and have to deal with that while you're trying to hold things together? I saw somebody throw out, you know, go to Houston, but Houston doesn't want to win. You don't want to bring in Baker and have him win games for you by accident. Right. I, it's, it's going to be tough. It'll, I'm curious to see where he lands. I think he'll land somewhere. I'm just very curious to see where he lands. And I think somebody needs to sit down and say, Baker, you, you might have to accept being the backup somewhere for a couple of years. Yeah. And, you know, I did get it confirmed that he did ask for his release. So I know that that is true. Um, but in making a few phone calls on this earlier today, I did not get the sense that he did that with some knowledge or, you know, some intel that he was going to end up with the 49ers. Uh, I think it was just maybe a, just a, a chance to give him, get himself out of there and get off the bench and see what else could possibly happen. There's a lot of upheaval, of course, in Carolina. So he went from one dysfunctional team to another dysfunctional team. He went to more coach firings and more benchings and more, you know, and I think he's, he's finding out that, you know, there aren't a whole bunch of stable organizations in the NFL where things run like clockwork and everything goes the way that it should and people communicate beautifully and everyone's happy. I mean, it, it's very, very difficult uh, to have that kind of a setup. But I do hope that uh, that he lands in some good place. And I also hope uh, that he learns from all of these experiences and that he gets humbled. Sometimes you just need to get knocked down a little bit uh, before you can build yourself back up to a place where you truly can be successful. And the best of you does shine through. And I think that's a little bit of what might need to happen for him. Okay, let's get to a few more questions here. Um, This one, you know what? Let's talk about one of the really good stories. In fact, a really simple question from Kevin Loveland in Colorado. Hey, Mary Kay, is Tony Fields legit? It's a good question. I remember when when Tony Fields was first drafted and they raved and raved about him as sort of a poor man's JOK. That's what he was. He is that hybrid linebacker that... Uh, is is fast and shifty and rangy. And, you know, I looked, you know, went back and looked at some of his film and, and read up on him, you know, a fair amount. And I really kind of liked what I saw uh, from Tony Fields. But then he spent all of last year, he broke his foot and he was injured all of last year. And I think a lot of people have a tendency to write completely write off a guy when he gets injured early on and you forget that it was because of that. And, you know, you just think, oh, that's it. Too bad. He's a bust. Well, people need to remember with this regime is that they draft them young and they don't necessarily care what happens in their first year. They are looking two and three years down the road and they might have themselves a player in Tony Field. And he actually made the name for himself on special teams. And that's a great way to do it. 
I mean, that is how to get your sea legs in the NFL if you're trying to break into it, especially at the linebacker position. Now he'll have that opportunity because poor Sione Takitaki is out for the year. What is going on at the middle linebacker spot, right? So unfortunate. Um, Sione was playing great. He was having an opportunity to live up to his potential. And you can't find a nicer guy than Sione Takitaki. Isn't that true, Dan? Yeah, I, I feel really bad for him. And it's a contract year. And, you know, it's not like he was going to go out and make $10 million a year, but he was going to make a little bit of money, maybe even to stay here. Right. And it's just, it's too bad now because that torn ACL is just, it's always such a tough injury to come back from. And yeah. you just, his future is just a lot murkier now. So just the timing of it, the injury just in general, you just feel bad for the guy. But you're right. Seems like one of the nicest guys you'll meet. I know. He's a great he, he's a great guy. And he was starting to play really, really well. He was always good against the run, uh, but the game had slowed down for him this year. And he had, he got his opportunity because two other middle linebackers were lost for the season. Um, so they've really taken a huge hit at that position. But um, this will open some possibilities up for Tony Fields. He'll have some chances to play more football for the Cleveland Browns. They're running very short at linebacker. And um, and they need guys that can come in and make plays. And one of the biggest things they need, uh, and the thing that Miles Garrett has been clamoring for, are those takeaways. And he was involved in uh, three of them yesterday. So, um, so yeah, definitely, uh, it, it's good to see that from him. And I think that he he could be a legitimate defensive contributor. Yeah, I mean. I- like you said, he worked his way up on special teams and, and here he is with an opportunity and that's what this league's about. So uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's see what Tony Fields can do here. Uh, Jeff Sapesi from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, going back to the Bengals. Hey, Mary Kay, like the stock market, past performance in the NFL is not necessarily an indicator of future performance. Given the Stefanski-led Brown success over the Bengals, is it possible that the Browns could take the Bengals too lightly. They seem to be on a roll. What is the key to winning this game? You know, I don't think they'll take them like, lightly, considering that they just beat the 9-3 and three Chiefs. It would be hard to take them lightly, uh, especially knowing that you're going down uh, into their place to try to win this game. You know that uh, they are going to want to avenge the 32-13 loss on Halloween night. That is sticking in the craw. Um, you know that Joe Burrow wants to get the Cleveland Browns monkey off of his back, 0-4 against the Cleveland Browns. Uh, again, they know the magnitude of this game. They know that they've got to beat the Browns if they want to make sure that they are staying in this AFC North race. I mean, it's just one game like this can make or break you. And so I don't think the Browns are going to take them lightly by any stretch of the imagination. And with Jamar Chase back, I'm sure the Browns defensive backs can try to get themselves into a little lather over some of the stuff that the receivers said again in the offseason. They might be able to repurpose that for themselves and try to get re-mad about that. Um, you know, they'll use whatever they can. They'll find whatever they can. Uh, they'll get up for this game, and I think they'll be ready to play. And I still do think that that the Browns defense – is coming around uh, and and playing some some decent football for the most part. Yeah, and, and look, we just know for whatever reason this has been a good matchup for them. Whether it's just Miles Garrett 
is dominant against them. And Nick Chubb always plays well against them. And the secondary plays well against Burrow. We've seen enough time and time again here that really the last three times they played with, with Joe Burrow Uh that they match up pretty well with what the Bengals do. And so now I guess we'll see kind of, it's, it's funny, like the Bengals are coming off a win over the chiefs, but they're kind of the team that has to make the adjustment here. Like, Uh are you going to, are you going to decide to run Joe Mixon more if he's back? Are you like, what are you going to do to kind of counteract what the Browns have done against you? Um, Interestingly, I think the Bengals opened as somewhat heavy favorites. I was kind of surprised by that. I don't know if that's changed. I think it was like plus six or something uh, yesterday or maybe this morning, but um yeah, I'm I'm torn on this game because I've I've sort of been high on the Bengals all year, even as they struggled. But also, it's one of those things where I got to see it almost before I can say that the Bengals are going to beat this team. Yeah, it is going to be a challenging one to think about and to pick and to talk about. Um, but here's what the Bengals are going to have to do if they want to beat the Cleveland Browns. They have to change up how they operate offensively. They do have to make those adjustments. The teams, I mean, all they have to do is turn on the Miami Dolphins tape. And yeah, it might be late in the season to try to make that magnitude of adjustments where you're doing uh, different motions and, you know, all different kinds of things to uh, mess up a defense so that they can't ID what the heck you're doing. Um, But that's what they're going to have to do. They can't be the simple classic drop back passing, you know, Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase team. They, they're not going to be able to to do that and win this game because the Browns have too many good defensive backs. I mean, Martin Emerson, you know, each week gets better and better. Denzel's back strong now. Uh, Greg Newsom is back from his concussion. So they've got their full complement of guys in the secondary. I mean, if, if they want to win this game, uh, they're going to have to do some things differently and they're, they're going to have to be burning the midnight oil to try to copy some of the things that have crossed up the Browns defense. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, usually like JOK, I think said today, you know, they, they just do what they do well and say, Hey, we're going to beat you with it. That doesn't cut it against the Browns. That's why they're own four. That's why Joe Burrow is own four against the Browns. There's certain teams that just match up well with other teams. And, and that's how the Browns are with the Bengals. And it's not changing anytime soon unless they change. Yeah, it's interesting to note that with that kind of attitude offensively, the teams that seem to match up well with the Bengals are teams with a guy like Miles Garrett or a mm-hmm. team with a guy named TJ Watt <laughs> or yeah. the, the Dallas Cowboys who beat up the Bengals earlier this year in a game when Cooper Rush started, but they have Michael Parsons. Um I don't know. At some, we'll see if Zach Taylor kind of puts the puts the dots together there, draws the lines there between the dots, and uh, connects the dots. That's what I'm looking for. We'll see if Zach Taylor connects the dots <laughs> on that go. one <laughs> and uh, and make some adjustments. But if he doesn't, that could be good for the Browns. Well, I mean, the other thing that I probably would have done is, I mean, Joe Mixon is really good, but you know, why not have another really good running back on hand? and do some kind of a one-two punch and, you know, go, go to the ground game. You can see that the Browns have struggled to stop the run, although they did, they did pretty well against Damian Pierce for the most part. Um, but, you know, why not throw a, you know, sort of a, a Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt combo at them or do more of a, 
you know, some kind of a jumbo type of thing and, and really try to, to go at it from that standpoint, if you know that the drop back passing game isn't necessarily going to get it done. I mean, you, you really have to think outside the box this week if you want to beat the Cleveland Browns. They're very confident going against the Bengals. I think heading into it, I think they feel 100% that they're going to win this game. This is a weird league. For whatever reason, the Bengals own the Chiefs, and for whatever reason, the Browns own the Bengals. We'll see yeah. if that uh, if that trend continues this week. Uh, we're yeah. going to cover it all, of course, as we always do at Cleveland.com slash Browns and on this podcast. So just make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also make sure you're a Football Insider subscriber, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. That'll do it for the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great. <laughs>